can everybody say something just so I see if it's just say something. <laughs> yeah. Hi. Yeah. Say something. Hello. Just. Hi. <laughs> Hello. Right. Yeah. If you can, I'll put that in the middle here. Okay. Right. Okay. Uh, uh, <coughs> should be all right. All right. So uh, and I'll try to talk louder then because I don't have the microphone anymore. <laughs> uh, so. Yeah, we are here at Lancaster Girls Grammar School. Thanks for talking to me today. We have a group podcast today, just mix things up. Uh, so let me start asking everybody your name, the subject to teach, uh, and why your role is here at the school. So let's start with you. Okay, um, I'm James Grundy. I'm the head of English. Yeah. Uh, my name's Matt Laurie. I'm a classroom teacher of history. Yes. I'm Claire Singleton, and I'm second in English. School. And I'm Leanne Sharple, the head of PE. Okay, that's fantastic. And uh, how long have you been teaching? I think 11 <laughs> or 12 years. Right, huh. that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah, this is my third year of this school. Okay. Um, my fifth year of teaching, sixth if you include my training here. Right. And I think for me it's eight, 17 years. Nice, a lot of experience. And I'm you? 11 years, so 10 years here and my 11th year teaching. Alright, um, and what made you go into teaching? Was that your first career choice? Did you do something else before? Um, well, I, I didn't know what to do. I did my degree, didn't know what to do and sort of tried a few different, you know, journalism was one option I thought about. And then my dad was like, as he had been for years, just give teaching a go. And I kind of, I said, I always said no. And then I sat down and thought, he's probably right, actually. So then I kind of went along, did some uh, observations, applied to the PGC, got on the course, really enjoyed it. So I just kind of just sort of, not fell into it, but um, I suppose it was all kind of just sort of the best option. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nice. Yeah. I had um, a fantastic history teacher at school and a great group of friends when I was a pupil at school and just loved being at school and that's yep. something I wanted to carry on doing. That helps. Yeah, um, and yeah, the love for history was inspired by having like two or three brilliant teachers and then I spent three years at university telling all my friends who'd done like economics degrees that you can do anything with a history degree <laughs> and they would say, no, all you can do is become a teacher <laughs> and then I became a teacher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did a lot of work with young people when I was growing up, did a lot of volunteering and I enjoyed working with young people and sort of the influence um, I suppose helping them to develop and learn about themselves. Yeah. When I did my English degree, I, similar to Matt, I had a fantastic English teacher at A-level who really inspired me. I wanted to be a barrister and he told, he told me that, that wasn't for me. Okay. Um, and he sort of said, do English, you'll love it. And it combined, I suppose, my, my love for English and literature and the passion I have working with young people mm -hmm. and it all sort of came together. Yeah, yeah. I had similar experiences, so like Matt, just positive influences in my life growing up um, and obviously being involved in sport, did a lot of coaching when I was younger, so it's kind of like the natural progression. Mm. I did a four-year QTS course, so straight away at 18 or 17 when I left here, I was a, a girl here oh, at right. school. Um, I straight away knew that I wanted to go into teaching, so I did a four-year QTS course and then ended up being a PE teacher as a result of that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah, good. Uh, do you think there's any difference between when you had your training, that's like four years ago, five, six, six yeah, yeah. and when you had your 
training 18 years ago yeah. or 10 years ago in between? A lot of my training was very much um, university-based, mm -hmm. so we didn't spend anywhere near as much time in the classroom um, as certainly the student teachers do now. And I'm not sure if you felt that, but certainly a lot of the students um, we have now come from skits, so from school partnerships, rather than doing a one-year post-grad mm -hmm. at university. And it's much more hands-on, so they in the, they're in the classroom about three or four weeks after they start, whereas we seem to do a lot more sort of three or four weeks university, then a day in school, then two days in school. We did half a placement, did another placement, then went back to a placement. Mm. We didn't have the experience certainly our students do now. Yeah, I was technically the first year of school direct, mm. but it ran like a PGCE still, so I did my training in Keele University. Um, and the big selling point was you get more time in schools than you previously had. Yeah. But actually, I'm not sure it worked out like that. I still think they were on the old model. So I think essentially I did a PGC, but it was called School Direct. I'd do a month at university, then a placement at school um, from, say, October to December, then another month at university, then back in school. And the idea was the months at university was um, pedagogy, educational theory, yeah. and then you would apply that in the classroom. But the in my experience, there's a disconnect yeah. between the months at university and, and then applying it. And I would say the experience I had, there was a very specific agenda. There was a very specific idea that there was a correct way to teach and an incorrect way to teach. And I feel like my through my experience, my opinions of how to teach have changed since I I think it's very much a kind of, I always think it's, it's kind of a vocational job because obviously you need, the, you know, you, you understand you know, the, the theory, but you can't really apply it until you've actually been in the classroom. So yeah. myself and Matt do the, um, we have students who come from Ripley Local School and they, they have a day quite early, so like September was it, on the first week, and they, we talk about learning theories and they've no idea how to apply it at all. Yeah. And then, but I think if they go back to it, say, in, in, even at the end of their first placement, they can kind of see where we're coming from. So it's kind of, it's one of those jobs where you can talk about it and say, this is how, suggested ways of doing it, but until you're actually in the classroom with 30 kids expecting to do something, yeah. it's really difficult and it's kind of, you learn all the time. So I, I, I was probably an awful teacher when I first started, but I kind of think you get better when you do something, yeah. you kind of, you obviously reflect on it and you kind of learn on it, learn from it. Um, and you're always, you never, you never finished article, you're always trying to think about how can I do that differently? That didn't quite work out. Um, so it's kind of, it's a very much a learning on job. So you think this new style of getting the new teachers to class already, that helps? I think that. so. Yeah, um, yeah I think yeah. it's probably, a, it's a better way of doing it, if there is a better way of doing it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. certainly, because they have pedagogy days, <coughs> so they'll be in for four days, have pedagogy day, and then they can apply what they've learned there and then, mm -hmm. rather than waiting several weeks and thinking, oh, I didn't quite get it, and it, do it yeah. just doesn't work much more hands-on. Yeah, I think that maybe a danger of it is, um, so I had a trainee last year and obviously I will have certain things that I do in the classroom that suit me and that are good for me but don't work for everyone else. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important that the student teacher is detached enough to be able to pick things from certain teachers and from others and to build their own style. Mm -hmm. So I guess the danger of being in the school all the time is that you would end up just trying to imitate someone else's style so I guess that's what I do too. Yeah, mm. it's, it's always been a danger hasn't it? And certainly when I was doing my, I had a mentor and was with that mentor and I've taught her classes mm. whereas we try and give much more variety mm. to, to, to yeah. different subjects.
different teachers And you're responsible for training the new teachers. Yeah, yeah you are. Yeah. Yeah. So do you do things with them that you wish had been done when you were training? Um, yes and no, I suppose. So There's a lot more support with C CPD. Yeah. The school's really good on that, so we'll highlight certain areas. I think there's a lot more support in terms of that than, the, than, than there ever was when I was yeah, training. learning. Certainly, I mean, resource-wise, I think we're a lot better resource now mm -hmm. than mm. we used to be. And so we're a lot better at signposting. So we do a lot more coaching mm. rather than telling, mm -hmm. I think, as well. Mm -hmm. Certainly I was told what to teach, how to teach it, and what to do. Yeah. And we try and avoid that. We are never going to start and point and ask questions, but we expect more from our students. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Nice. Uh, you were talking about uh, learning from doing, mm -hmm. like really trying yeah. new things and then adjusting there. How do you, re do you record while you tried and then you try something new or is it just... Um, me personally. Listen? Yeah, um, and then everybody else. Yeah, well I suppose sort of obviously kind of, I do a lot of things through PowerPoint and what I've, I've just switched on to kind of using things online so I don't have a pen drive or anything anymore, it's all, it's all in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So. Where I remember, and I'm getting better at doing this, so say if something doesn't quite work out, it's like a typo or something on, on, on a resource, I can just instantly do it there and then, so it's changed. And I think, in terms of, like, in terms of memory, so I kind of, because the course content's been the same now for sort of two, three years, I always kind of, you get to a certain point in the year, think, oh, I did this last year, it didn't work out, so you kind of remember, you just adapt it, but you have to adapt it. Even if you adapt it, there's no guarantee it's gonna work. Yeah. Um, and I think part of it's kind of being flexible enough during a lesson, rather than saying, right, I'm doing this regardless, gonna plow on through, is to recognise they're not getting it, they're not kind of, there's something not right, and kind of making sure you intervene and so you don't just lose your lesson. Because you, I think that's, with, with, as a trainee, you kind of, you have a lesson plan and it's down to the minute what you're going to do to the second and you stick to it because otherwise you don't have to go off piece as it were. Whereas part of it, I guess part of the skill of being a teacher is to recognise this isn't working, why is it not working, and then react kind of almost instantaneously to kind of, to make sure your lesson kind of, like formative assessments. Yeah, yeah. 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 yeah, I think that's the best feedback I get from my teaching. So I guess the three types are self-reflection, um, when you're observed by other colleagues, and feedback you get from pupils. And the feedback from pupils is occasionally in their written work, but um, sometimes it happened to me, literally just happened to me on uh, Wednesday, I think. A year 11 pupil I've been teaching a certain topic that I'm perhaps not as confident on as I am in other topics, and she approached me at the end of the lesson and she said, it's just not working for me, these lessons. So I went home in a really bad mood <laughs> and really sort of upset. And so, yeah. But then what I've now realised after a couple of days of simmering on it and reflecting on it is that I need to perhaps adapt the way that I teach after certain pupils. So the best feedback I get is from pupils who will say either this is great or this isn't working for me. But um, it takes a long time at a school to build up that relationship mm -hmm. in a class yeah. where they can feel comfortable coming to you and saying, and, and speaking their, their mind and not mm -hmm. just sort of telling you what you want to hear and actually saying it's not working for me this um, I need to do it in a different way. I think what the pupils don't necessarily realise is we are our biggest critics. Mm. We walk out of classroom and go, it, that <laughs> just didn't work. And the kids they don't appreciate that actually that we are probably a lot harder on ourselves than they are on us. Mm. We know when it's not worked and no matter what they think, we know when it's fallen flat on its face. And how do you how do you check if it's working or not? Is there anything you do during the class, or is it 
after? How do you actually know if it's working or not? Kind of both. I think obviously kind of. So if say if we're doing, say if they're writing an essay and you've you know, gone through the poem or whatever it was and you say, I've taught you, I've got this, you know this really well, then you get it off them and they've not understood it, they've written, they've misinterpreted it. Um, it might be kind of through like discussion and lessons, so they're kind of not talking about, um, they can't find this, the stuff you've asked them to find. So again, it, again it's about being flexible, isn't it? Kind of recognising, because mm. um, I suppose your, our job is to, in its simplest form, is to kind of pass that knowledge on to them so they yeah. can do it in an exam, be in circle about it. Um, and I think there's different, yeah, different ways of measuring it, just kind of being alert to it all mm-hmm. the time. Really. Mm-hmm. Very much dependent on task, mm. because we are a very heavily based obviously written subject, a lot of it is written, so it's only when we get the actual response that you can see for definite that they've understood or not understood. But a lot of it comes from conversation and from the questions, and very quickly that question, you know quite clearly they've not understood what it was we mm-hmm. wanted. Mm-hmm. You're probably different again. Yeah, yeah pra- practically you can see there and then if they yeah. are yeah. if they are being successful in that task. So we're it's a lot easier for us to adapt practically. Mm-hmm. You either have to strip it right back down or use differentiation to move move forward yeah. or take a step back. So it's kind of easier for our practical subject, mm-hmm. for PE, um, to get instant feedback, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the longer you teach a class as well, you just pick up on verbal yeah. cues from particular mm-hmm. pupils, so you yeah. can just Body tell language. if a certain people's taking it in, mm-hmm. if they're actually thinking about your subject or if their mind's elsewhere. Yeah. But that just takes time to build up that. I think that's kind of a problem with teacher trainers because you're only here for you know for a term. So it can take if you have a GC class, it can take you a year to get to know them. And so you kind of better say you can recognise cues and things. As a if you're there for three weeks, you you know you've no idea how they're feeling, like why why she's in a bad mood, um, why she's not doing homework again. But it just it's, it's that experiencing, isn't it? You can't you can't do it straight away. You've got to build up that rapport. Yeah. yeah, I think that's the most important thing. Just having that good relationship, and there's no shortcut. You just need to invest the time yeah. it does take time and confidence in yourself that you know that it's all right yeah to change to change it's all right that that lesson that you've planned wasn't it's not working so it doesn't it doesn't matter just go yeah, where go the class is taking you yeah. and it might be i teach a lot of classes back to back so i'll have like a year nine gymnastics lesson followed by another year nine lesson exactly the same Different, possibly different in ability, but that first lesson never goes as well as a second lesson because you're able to adapt. But again, they're di- two different groups, so it could take you in two different directions. So I think with experience, getting to know the, getting the, to know the pupils, in our case the girls, that counts for a lot as well. And how students learn and how they respond to you, it's kind of trusting them and mm-hmm. that them in turn. And then you notice that there's certain things that lots of people get wrong, so a really common misconception. Um, about a specific topic. So, um, for example, um, at A level we teach the Reformation um, in England in mm-hmm. the 16th century, and there's um, two opposition groups, two critics of the church early on, the Lollards and the Lutherans, and they have lots of overlapping criticisms that they make, and invariably pupils get confused between those two, mm-hmm. or they have done in the two years that I've taught it. So, this year, before I even uh, it's like a, an example of adaptation, before I sat down, I thought, right, mm-hmm. how am I going to? Yeah. Clearer way. Yeah. So how do you do it now? And how did you do it before? Um, I told the girls stories about mistakes I've made in the past, about mistakes that yeah. their predecessors had made, and I said this is why they got it wrong. So I was just open and honest about that, and I find that when you tell those stories and they're going to hook onto it and relate it, then that's when the pupils are really listening and actively thinking, and therefore you've flagged up 
I flagged up this is the difficulties you might face. Both of these groups believe, without getting into too much technical jargon, both of these uh, groups believe in having the Bible in English, but they're yeah. different for these ways, and just yeah. being honest about mistakes that I've made and that other people have made. Yeah, yeah that's nice. Uh, what about uh, P, maybe the different subjects? Is there any example of things that you tried, didn't work, and now you doing all, something else? All the time, <laughs> all the time. Um, just actually, so in year nine in, in dance, we've actually given the responsibility to the girls to see where they want their scheme of work to go. They hate performing as a group in front of everybody else. Okay. So we're starting to kind of listen to that. So giving the, the girls a voice, um, so we're going to actually do like a video so rather than having to perform it live they're at, so it's listening to what they want mm -hmm. because they're going to get more out of it ultimately if they make a decision so giving them the responsibility yeah so. all right uh, maybe we can talk about the school a bit so this is a grammar school and it's a high achieving school yeah and it's a small relatively school yeah uh, are there any issues uh, here. They sit in 11 uh, plus, so they sit an entrance exam. So it's non fee, fee paying school, but it is selective. Yeah. And I think that comes, we were talking this morning on our CPD session about resilience. A lot of our girls come to school uh, with a, an expectation <laughs> of themselves mm. and parent, that parents have put on them. So yeah. that pressure is always with them that they have to succeed, that they have to get the best grades. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of our greatest pressures yeah I think lower down maybe key stage four more than key stage five the pupils here in my experience see the purpose of education as fulfilling some sort of socio-economic end i.e they're going to get a good job that pays well out of it and I don't necessarily think they or if they do see they think it's of lesser importance the intrinsic value of just enjoying a subject so I think that pressure perhaps comes from themselves or from parents it certainly doesn't come from staff mm -hmm. who try to get across the intrinsic motivation but they think education serves a societal end i.e we get good jobs and that's a challenge so how do you deal with that just try and tell them it's not yeah, yeah. yeah. I, think, okay. I, so I think kind of i think if at the end of the day if you went to school and all you got at the end of it was piece of paper with low numbers eights and nines or whatever and that was it that's really quite sad because you've missed out on all the kind of values and everything, the friendships, the sort of all the stuff you don't get assessed on in terms of what, what school does. I think this school is very good, kind of good community. We had, we had um, an amazing day yesterday to do some performing arts festival, and it's just that's that's when the schools, or things like sports, day, that's when the schools are its best. Is when the school comes together. It's an event. It might not be you know you might not be the sportiest person in the world, but you have a go, and it's just it's a really fun, enjoyable day for everyone else. Staff get involved, and everyone's in a good mood, and that's the kind of that's what this school's about. It's not about the you know the league table position where mm -hmm. we were possibly that which is also very very high, yeah. but I think like I say if you're, all you get out of school is a set of grades you you've missed a trick entirely. Mm -hmm. I think if all we did if, if if all I did as a teacher was teach them how to get you know a good grade I've I've not sort of passed on that love of literature mm -hmm. which I had when I was in school so I kind of failed in my job really so that's kind of the most obviously it's, it's the balance between the two isn't it between exam success and enjoying it and that's the real trick. well-being as well and that's really important in this school particular we are in a 
very obviously a very much female um, mm-hmm. environment. Yeah. So you've got a lot of issues with having <laughs> that we have a thousand girls in one place almost. So actually our pastoral teams and the pastoral support is just as important as the academic mm-hmm. side here. And just for the Anne's original point about building resilience because mm-hmm. not all the girls who arrive here in year seven are going to achieve eights and nines. And they've come in expecting that, mm-hmm. but that's not every everyone's route is different. Mm-hmm. And it's about getting them to accept actually their limitations. I always think my dad always said to me, all I want you to do is do your best. And that's I pass on all the time. I said, look, I'm not interested in whether you get an eight, nine, seven, whatever it might be. It's you know on results day, you've worked your hardest and you've got the best results. Those results are the results you deserve, whether that's a four or five, six, or seven, eight or nine. You've tried your best and that's all anyone wants is to do the best they can really. Yeah, I think the girls here respond really well if like they love hearing stories that the staff tell. <laughs> like obviously they, they want to they're voracious and wanting to know as much about your life as possible but also about your experiences. So if you if if I tell them about why I love certain bits of history or experiences that I had that read me made me really value the subject, then that's the way that I try and get across to them that this is just a worthwhile use of your time without yeah. it having to result in a grade at the end. Yeah. But when it comes to the crunch in year eleven it seems to revert to so it is tough. Do you think the new GCSEs and A-levels, they made that worse or doesn't matter? S- same, I think. Same. Yeah. same. Yeah, I think it was five years ago to, to now. We're still having the, still same, the same problems. Okay. Yeah. 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 Same, same barriers. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We're probably yeah. more stressed, but they're yeah. the same <laughs> level of stress. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, all right. Uh, so you mentioned some expectations come from parents. Do you do any work with parents as well on? Yeah, they, they have um, There's an evening. I think is it, is it next week or the week after where they, they invite uh, parents in and students and just talk about you know the importance of the work-life balance. That obviously they, they want to do well. And that's that's wonderful. But mm-hmm. equally, it's not all about work, 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 work all the time. So they talk about you know strategies, techniques, um, getting off your phone from time to time. Mm-hmm. So the, the, I think it's and since I've been here, which is six seven years, um, I think that's got a lot better. Um, when I first came, I felt it was all about achievement. It was all maybe, that's maybe my perception because I'm from the area and I didn't go to grammar school. Um, but I kind of thought it was all about grades, all about achievement, nothing else. But when I first arrived, I still had that kind of mindset. And having worked here now, it's not about that mm-hmm. at all. It's about that plus all the other stuff as well. And I think that's got maybe maybe the exams a little bit more difficult. But there's a lot more emphasis on you know kind of mental health, well-being, that kind of stuff, yeah. which is brilliant. That's that's what is needed. Yeah. I mean, I must say, I've worked at schools that have a different profile, and one of the challenges at schools in different areas are parents don't see the value in education, and that gets passed on to their pupils. What I can say here is every parent is so supportive of their child. They are diligent, conscientious. You know, we have such busy parents' evenings, they're desperate for their, pu- uh, for their children to do well and to have fulfilling lives. So that does make it easier. Mm-hmm. It can just present other challenges. Yeah and additional pressure in ways that perhaps parents don't intend to. Yeah, I just personal story. When I was in school, we had these mock exams every like month 
And there was one girl, I was always second, and there was always this one girl in my class who got the first position. And then the first time she got the first position, I was with her, she called her mom. She's like, mom, I got, and it was the whole school, it was a massive school. I got first position on the mock exam. And then mom was like, which grade did you get? And she said, this much. And she was like, that's not enough. That's not gonna get you into a law university. And she just spent the host, uh, the rest of the day crying and I felt, you know, she did, she was the best student in the whole school. And the mom said, nah, that's not gonna get you where you wanna go. And she just cried. So yeah, I can see that having supportive parents is good, but if it's too much, then it really leads to other problems. Yeah. I think as a staff, though, we're very good at sort of making sure that every child knows we want what's best for them yeah. and we want them to have that healthy work-life balance. If they're not healthy in their mind, they won't achieve success. Yeah. And we do our best. Yeah. Uh, can I ask about something else, of some kind of curiosity? So you mentioned there are like almost a thousand girls here and they all six four men girls. Uh, we don't have that in my country, boys' schools, girls' schools. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me I mean I'm sure this is something old, you know, old England. Why do we still have this? Is it good? Is it whatever? Is it bad? I think it's fabulous. Yeah. Um, so I've worked in uh, my previous school was a mixed school and um, what I found was that louder boys tended to dominate the classroom, whereas working here now, it gives girls the opportunity to grow into the people they want to be without the classroom challenges presented by loud boys, but also in like the social aspect of mixed schools, you get to a certain age and perhaps priorities change in how you present yourself, how you dress and all that sort of stuff. And there seems to be, to me anyway, in the school day, fewer of those issues, and therefore girls are given the space just to grow into like young people without all these expectations of what a girl should be like. I don't think the, the girls grow up, but I don't think they grow up quite as quickly as right. boys being in the all girl environment. Um, they're allowed to be 11 years old, they don't have to think about a 13 or 14 year old just doing anything. So I think it's, it's good in that respect, that nurturing kind of um, way. They stay young longer. But equally, they are developing, they're making incredible progress, um, which for distractions of a mixed school, mm -hmm. not all, a lot do, but not all children um, make. I mean, you've experienced, so you were mixed school, weren't you? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it, there are, I mean, it's hard, isn't it? I definitely see that the benefits of being in an all-girls school, um, but they do, it does present challenges. But yeah, just like Matt said, I think it is an, it's a nice environment to be. Mm -hmm. They are they are allowed to grow up. I think I always I think it's, it's, it feels safe. Like they feel safe to like say they can be eleven. They can be and they they can grow. Yeah, kind of, like I said, they're not kind of forced. There's no kind of outside pressures. I think there are benefits of having you know mixed schools as well. But I think when I first started, I, it kind of it felt like they, they felt really comfortable and they could be themselves. And I think that's much more difficult. I mean, it's hard being a teenager anyway. I hate being a teenager these days. Um, but I think. Being a teenager here is possibly easier, definitely safer than say being a teenager in like another school down the road where you've got boys and girls together. I think there's a lot more. The like there's, it's it's hard enough anyway to have all the extra kind of the social pressure of being yeah. in a, a mixed comprehensive school. Uh, must it's another pressure that you don't need when you've got enough when you 
played as a you know as a year eleven, sixteen year old. And I think if you look in society today, like there's still an expectation that uh, men will get top jobs. Um, yeah. And the boys' school up the road, there is certainly a confidence that they're going to go on to be successful. And what I found here is it creates this atmosphere in school that girls are determined to show how brilliant they are. So we recently we do a um, like a law competition and um, we're an all girls school and we were the only all girls school that entered and we got there and there were groups of boys that they could overhear saying like oh we've got the girls school it'd be easy mm. and it just fired their bellies and just made them determined to prove that they are just as capable. So I guess that that's a nice proves some of the results as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. You know, we are yeah. the highest achieving grammar school in that respect, and certainly the local area, and we're ranked third in the North West, really. Mm -hmm. So um, we are, you know, we achieve, and it works for the girls being in that single-sex environment. Plus, boys mature, obviously, a very different rate of way than girls mature, so actually the dynamics in that side of the classroom are very different with mm -hmm. just girls. We haven't got 14-year-old girls with Know, boys who actually mentally are still kind of maturity-wise <laughs> age 11, yeah. so it does make a big difference. Yeah, it's, it's very calm, obviously, you know, some, obviously 14 year old girls, 13 can be very hysterical from time to time, but the majority of the time it's really calm, movement around schools, nice and calm, there's no bells, which really helps as well, um, and I think you don't get that necessarily in a mixed comprehensive school, like the atmosphere is very, it's noticeable, you walk in the door, having worked somewhere else, it, it feels very different, and it's very pleasant, yeah. it's kind of, not serene, but it's a lot calmer. Right, and you think that's just my own uh, polemic uh, thought because we are growing them in this place that's very safe and there are no loud boys and no overconfident boys and no, you know and I, I am a girl I was a girl and I can see all of that but then when they leave the school they're gonna go to a world where there are all those men and uh, you think they are more prepared for that if they go to a girls' school than a mixed school? I think they still, like socially, they still, you know, they, they mix with the boys' school quite regularly. Um, obviously, when they're out and about, they still, it's not as if they've never seen a boy before in their lives. Um, so I think that was my worry when I first, but I actually think the more you work here, the more you realise actually they do, there's a lot going on outside school. Okay. So they've still got the social stuff, it's just, it's not the social stuff whilst they're in school. It's kind of, it's separated, which I think is much easier to manage because you're not dealing with. The issues now say there's a house party weekend and the audience will be really excited about it. Mm. Whereas they'll be excited at half past three on Friday and when we'll go rather than so you, you kind of it's much more separate in terms of yeah, the two um, parts of the lives are down. No, I don't think we have any of them that leave thinking don't have to talk to a boy. Yeah. Um, yeah. Certainly not a problem that we uh, that yeah. we encounter. Yeah, we provide different opportunities, don't we? Mm. With different yeah. different schools and also the boys' school. So we do a joint musical yeah. um for the girls later on in the year groups. So there are different opportunities, sporting fixtures, discos, discos. Yeah. yeah so there are different opportunities. Okay. <laughs> so just changing topics. Um, so we talked about research on my presentation. Do you keep in touch with research? Do you read new evidence? Do you use? Is it? Yeah, we're very Anything? fortunate. Really, we have had over the last few years opportunities to do research projects. Um, and we're very well supported by the senior leaders in that respect mm. here. So I think all four of us have done research projects uh, in recent years. Um, I did one on assessment for learning, um, done a few actually, that was the most recent. Leanne's just finished one. Done a resilience project yeah. uh, and work with the Youth Sports Trust. Yeah, 
I actually did a, a um, project last year on low stakes retrieval um, and the impact that that could have. But my biggest CPD um, experience or improvement has come from having a professional uh, Twitter account. And I don't really interact actively, but I just sort of steal lots of ideas. Yeah, mine was with sort of, I did with primary school and I was quite surprised because obviously I was, when I did my teacher training, we talked about Kiss 2 curriculum and how sort of, how much it's changed and how much it's evolved over time. So kind of knowing what they can do when they come in is really useful information. Yeah. yeah. Great. What about technology? Is that something that you look for or you just come across? Yeah, we, we use it massively in PE. And over the past couple of years, as obviously technology has advanced, we've tried to keep up date. Obviously, cost is a barrier, mm -hmm. but we use iPads for assessment, for storage of data, um, and we use it heavily to help with um, feedback and analysis. So whether it's in a practical situation, mm -hmm. uh, we give our pupils the use of the iPads and the use of their mobile phones to either video or to use as research on the internet. Yeah. So, and we find that is is a massive benefit to them improving. Yeah, we're less, in terms of resources, we have less with iPads, but we use OneDrive a lot for our students. So certainly in terms of sharing resources and collaborative working, so mm -hmm. OneNote to give them space where they mm -hmm. can work together. So my six one class, James and I share, mm -hmm. for example, collaboratively um, producing a revision document and they're all taking responsibility and sharing it's all online and we've made use of various different things. Yeah, we've, got the, we've got the visualizer, so of course we, mm -hmm. we like to buy an iPad, we can't afford it. So we have these kind of high, de high definition cameras where we put you know, example work under it. It can be, I tend to take a picture of it and use it sort of as it's a frozen image, whereas you can just literally in the middle lesson get some book, pop it under, yeah. and it just projects onto the board. So it's, I suppose English is quite a low tech subject anyway, but we try and embrace it as much as we can. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think we make most of it. I think phones are big one. They can use their phones in lessons, yeah. which I'm quite happy for them to do. Um, within reason, I think that's the kind of the, the really simple thing they can use as a, as a tool. Which, yeah, I'm quite reticent to use technology. I don't know if that's just being a historian, <laughs> um, but I sometimes feel like I've seen it take precedence over actually just good teaching, just explaining things clearly. Um, however, I do use the visualizer, so it's not like I'm a luddite. I am willing to use technology if it, if yeah. I think it adds something. But I sort of need quite a lot of convincing. I think that's probably quite frustrating for some of the pupils I teach who are banging on at me about using things like Seneca and things like that. Um, so I'm not. It's not like a red line. I won't use technology, but I sometimes feel like I don't know. I've got like an interactive whiteboard in my room that was here before. I say I've never. Used never used it and I feel like there was a time probably when schools were flush with money and just spending it willy-nilly on stuff. Um, but it can, it, so it can be a distraction but it can be useful as well. Yeah, uh, just last question I think. Uh, you talked a lot about CPG and research opportunities. If there is another school that's listening today and they don't have that yet, are there any advice that you can give for them to start with a better CPD or more often? Yeah, I think CPD is, is invaluable really. I mean, certainly it's made a big difference to how I teach. So we've been in the classroom now for a significant period of time. Um, I'm still 
to create different opportunities, different links. Twitter is fantastic, as we all just mentioned. Um, and in the P community, it's a really big community, just like probably other subjects on social media. But um, they have something called Share, Teach, Learn, and mm -hmm. different kind of events um, locally. So, yeah, if you can't access it within your school, then obviously try and access it in different ways. I think... Um in my experience, some schools really value and will have an investment, like the senior leaders will have an investment in you furthering your career, mm -hmm. and you want to find yourself in a school like that. Some schools see teachers as you're just there to do a job, mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's your responsibility to further your career. I would say to a classroom teacher that doesn't have an opportunity in, in their school to do that, is that the right environment for you to be in? Um, we're really fortunate that we're given lots of time um, and sort of encouragement to to pursue our practice and to think about our careers, but that's got to come from the leadership of the school, really, I think. Yeah. All right, let's uh, stop now. Uh, thank you very much thank for you. talking to me, really. I know it was a long time. Uh, yeah, very nice to meet you all. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. you to work hard, you lot. Yeah. 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 yeah, you need chocolate now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's sugar,